Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we wanna say thanks for questions coming from our audience of Smith Weekly, including Jared A, Dave V, Andy J, and Mike P. We've got a new guest on the show today. Mr. Darren Hall has joined us. Darren is president, CEO, and director of Caliber Mining, a gold producer with multiple mines, development projects, and exploration projects in Nicaragua. Caliber is a portfolio holding at Smith Weekly Research. The company is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol CXB and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol CXBMF. Mr. Hall, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Andrew, and appreciate the time. Well, Darren, tell us where you're talking to us from and how is life treating you so far in 2021? I'm currently in Perth, so uh, we're about as far apart on the planet as what we can get right now with you in Panama. And uh, no, life's treating me fine. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be in Australia at this point. Things are going well and um, it's, uh, it's a nice time of the year. So yeah, everything's good. Thank you. Excellent. Well, Darren, you're uh, new to the audience. And of course, Ryan King was last on our program to update on the company. But cover your background for us, just for the audience who may not be familiar with you. And give us a reason as to why you're at this company. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um, yeah, no, a little bit of history. Uh, before uh, joining with what is Calibre, uh, now in 2018, I was with the precursor company, which was New Market Gold, which uh, a number of your, your listeners and yourself, I think, are familiar with. Um, we went New Market and then did that transformational uh, merger with Kirk and Lake, which you know, again is, is is well understood and marketed in the, in the markets. Um, I joined uh, Newmarket in the middle of 2015 um, after leaving Newmont after 30 years of service. And the majority of my time with Newmont was in operating roles, Australia, Indonesia, uh, Latin America, New Zealand, the US, and my role when I left Newmont was actually looking after Newmont's assets in Australia, New Zealand and Indonesia. So uh, seven assets and at the time represented about 40% of Newmont's EBITDA. So yeah, I, I went from you know, what was a very large organisation to a very small space and uh, it's been a very rewarding experience. And I guess to, to answer your question, why am I with Calibre? I mean, you know, I was privileged to have those three decades of experience with, uh, with Newmont, which you know, gave me an opportunity to see lots of things around the planet um, you know, work with a, you know, a multitude of you know, excellent people um, and from that identify what good looked like and then coming into this smaller space where I've been operating for the last five years with you know, Newmarket Kirkland and now Calibre allows me to apply those skills in a fit for, fit for scale type of approach and create value for everyone involved. So it's, it's an exciting place to be. Um, it's, it's fun in the smaller space and really enjoying it. Yeah, pretty diverse experience there, Darren, just being in these various jurisdictions. As you know, the cultures are very different, uh, you know, whether you're in Central America, South America, or places like the U.S. or Australia. And I think you're pretty well fitted for this uh, current position you're at here with Caliber. Give us your view, maybe just from the mile high view, I guess, 
here on the gold market for a moment. You know, we've had a meaningful correction in the price of gold and the equities. What do you see for this market over the next two years or so? Yeah, no, an interesting question. And I guess is that, uh, you know, if I could actually predict what it is, I, I probably would still do what I'm doing, but I'd have, uh, I'd probably have even more money invested in the gold space, right? But, uh, you, you know, recently we've seen a sharp rise in US interest rates and a stronger dollar, you know, which have weighed on gold recently. You know, but we've seen a rebound in economic activity and a lower gold price have provided opportunities for consumers and strategic investors, right? So, you know, looking forward, you know, I see a leveling in interest rates you know, on the back of accommodative you know, global monetary policies combined with rising money supply and further inflationary pressures. You know, I think we'll see an increase in gold demand. But, you know, I'm not an economist, but, you know, I, I'm positive about uh, what we see as the outlook for gold looking forward. And I guess as, as an operator, you know, where my focus is, is just to ensure that everything we do is accretive at whatever metal price exists in the market. So when I think about, um, you know, the decisions that I make within Calibre, you know, I kind of keep, keep myself in that $1,200 gold range, right? I think that if we can be robust and durable at $1,200 an ounce, $1,300 an ounce, then within the ranges we're likely to see gold trade within, we're always going to generate free cash. So we're always going to have the opportunity to reinvest back in the business, which, you know, we're just demonstrating is the best place of the use of our capital is that of organic growth. So, you know, and that's my philosophy is, is, that, is worry less about what the price is than ensure that we build a durable business that allows us to ride, you know, whatever markets exist. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident about where I see the gold price over that you're heading over the next couple of years. Agreed. I think so. I think here we have better prices yet to come. And if you look just short term here, it looks like the equities are starting to turn up and, you know, sentiment has been depressed pretty heavy. And it appears everything is turning back up. So we'll see what happens here. But I, I do think we're in a sweet spot here that uh, will continue to move higher in the coming years. Well, Darren, let's talk about the company here. Maybe just give us a quick overview and operational update. Yeah, Andrew, it's been a, an incredibly uh, exciting you know, first 18 months with Calibre. I mean, yeah, yeah, keeping in mind, we only took control of these assets in October of 2019. And, you know, we're just 18 months in, you know, we've, we've had a, an exciting ride and, and, and done a number of things. And, uh, and I guess is that if you, if I step back and think about, you know, what have we really delivered in the last 18 months is, is that with our 100% focus on Nicaragua and bringing a fresh set of eyes to the assets, strengthening the in-country team, we've established credibility in the assets and their ability to deliver against commitments quarter over quarter. And we're now six quarters in, we had a you know, fantastic 2020 where we exceeded production guidance and came in on the right end of cost guidance for the year. And you know, we did that on assets which had started to develop a little bit of a reputation as being a little unreliable. And you know, I think it's important to recognize why that be the case. And it was less about the assets themselves than it was about where they sat within the B2Gold portfolio. You know, as you know, B2Gold, have been an incredibly successful organization over the last you know, 10 years. And, and that a lot of their growth is attributable to the roots they have in Nicaragua. But as they went through some transformational uh, acquisitions and M&A activity in 2012 and 2013, you know, where their organizational focus and capital focus shifted to was the Philippines and Africa, you know, because you know, I mean, they were the shiny, shiny objects in their portfolio. And 
you know, rightly so. So what happened is, is that, you know, as as these assets in Nicaragua became non-core, I think that's what presented the opportunity for Calibre to come in and say, hey, we can look at these assets. We see great potential in them. You know, with them being 110% of our focus, you know, we have the opportunity to to refresh those assets in the investor's eyes. So I guess, you know, the reason for that background is, is, is that, you know, it's been a real focus for myself and the entire team over the last year and a half is to be able to reestablish that the assets are good assets, they're reliable assets. It's just that you know, there probably wasn't the focus on them that they deserved. So with that, and then demonstrating the significant value creation opportunity in our hub and spoke operating model, which is the bottleneck Le Mans, the orphan satellite deposits like Pavon, has resulted in a cogent five-year plan for the Libertad before considering any expiration upside. And the significance of that is, is, is that it had been foreshadowed that La Libertad was going to move into closure in 2020. And now what we have is we have a, a cogent five-year plan where over the next three years, you know, we've we've presented in our initial multi-year outlook, which we released in August of last year, that you know Libertad would generate about 120,000 ounces a year at you know roughly at under a thousand dollars an ounce um, over the over the three-year period. So you know, it's pretty amazing in repackaging the assets or the, the opportunity from the assets, from an asset which was going to go into closure in 2020. And part of that, well, a big part of that was from uh, leveraging off this hub and spoke philosophy, which is, again, it's not rocket science. All it is is, is that rather than consider Limon and Libertad as two individual assets, consider them as, as two mills within one business entity, which is Nicaragua, and look at where best we can process material. And we're in the fortunate situation where Limon was, uh, had significantly more mining capacity than what it had processing capacity with a 500,000 ton a year mill. But Libertad actually had a lot less material being mined than what the processing capacity is. So we looked at the opportunity there to transport material from Limon to Libertad, which again de-bottlenecked Limon, which allowed us then to to mine more material from them on and then process the material at Libertad. Um, and in doing, proving up that concept, then allowed us to what I call de-orphan some of these remote deposits, which at the time didn't have critical mass to be able to warrant coming in and spending $100, $150 million on building a new mill and tailings facility like Pavon. You know, with 300,000 ounces, it's, a, it's an attractive deposit it's probably doesn't probably at the time not large enough to want to come in and spend 150 million dollars. So proving that we can move the material on the good infrastructure that exists in Nicaragua, we could haul the material from Pavon to Libertad, utilize that existing infrastructure which is fully paid for, permitted, and we have all the all the operating people and everything we need to run that mill in existence. So you know it's just better utilizing that installed capacity. So again, two things. You know, establishing the assets as reliable, being able to deliver what they say. Secondly, is is that is deep bottlenecking and line balancing the assets to better utilize the installed capacity, then generated a five-year plan. And then a specific focus for us from an exploration perspective was you know, through focused technical studies, infill drilling programs, we've materially improved our mineral resource confidence and re-established a significant reserve base. We recently issued a, a, an updated resource and reserve 
with uh, resulting 864,000 ounces of reserve, which is the highest number of ounces in reserve for the last decade, at a record high rate of 4.49 grams per tonne. So, you know, what we've done now is, is that we've now been able to show that we have five years of life at Libertad without any expiration success and then turn it into reserve. So we've got assets that deliver, we've got a five-year life, and we've got confidence in that life. So it's a pretty significant you know, reframing of this asset base, which then allows us then to move on and look at uh, you know, providing a great basis for, for future organic growth through the exploration drawback. Yeah, and that's a lot of stuff there that you guys have been working on. And I think the market has provided a good response. Part of the sentiment in the overall gold market has reduced some of that response. But I think that uh, the strategy is starting to pay off. And I suspect that you guys are relatively early on in the strategy execution. Like you said, there's probably a lot of expiration upside yet to come here on the various projects. On the capital administrative side of the company, can you cover the uh, current shares outstanding for us, also the cash on hand here, and if you would, the major shareholders uh, on the roster? Yeah, sure, Andrew. Now, if we think about yeah, out, basic outstanding shares at the moment, it's just under 331 uh, million shares. As of December 31st, 2020, we had $53 million in cash. We have no debt and we're unhedged. You know, which is a great pace for us to be only a year into the operation. You know, after raising $100 million in the summer of 2019 to be able to purchase the assets, that puts us in a very strong, viable position. We're spinning out lots of cash as it goes. And like, as I mentioned before, you know, with uh, 2020 production of 136,000 ounces at $1,043 an ounce, with a 10-week COVID hiatus in there, it was a fantastic first year, first full year of operation. And we've guided this year to actually grow that production 30% to 170 to 180,000 ounces at an all-in sustaining cost of being 1040 and 1140 per ounce. So, you know, a, a great place to be. You know, we think about the the, the share ownerships. You know, one of the very unique things in, in Calibre is, is that, you know, insider ownership sits around 9 to 10%. There's a significant level of investment there from the board and management representing about 4%, oh, sorry, 5% of the, of the total shareholdings as well. Um, you know, we take, uh, if you compare it back to industry averages, typically very low base salaries. You know, we've, we've invested in the product. You know, I recently bought in again at the, after we released you know, the reserve updates uh, just recently, so at the end of last week. Again, couldn't do any more this week as we're into a blackout period because we're 30 days before the financial disclosure for Q1. So, you know, we've got a very engaged and invested management group. And, you know, that puts us in a unique situation where, you know, we hear people you know, talking about, you know, they're acting like shareholders. Well, we're absolutely aligned with our shareholders. I mean, you know, Calibre is a financial instrument and we're going to do everything we can to be able to return maximum value to our shareholders because as shareholders and founders of the company, it's in our best interest as well. So there is absolute alignment there. B2 is a significant holder here as well, among some other uh, good institutions that are on board here. To execute on strategy here, um, over this year, do you guys see any need whatsoever for financing? No, no Andrew, at this point, no, we don't. You know, we've, we've got good margins, we've got good production, we've got cash in the bank, you know, even after the investments that we've foreshadowed this year at uh, 35 to $40 million of growth capital, 
15 to 17 million dollars of expiration you know we'll still put money into treasury you know during the course of this year even at current gold prices so now we're in a very buoyant position and yet yeah, no need at this point to uh, to look at those alternative financing and you recently took over as CEO. Um, of course, you've been at the company for a long time here, Darren, but you took over for Russell Ball, who has left the company. Uh, he was with the company as CEO, uh, I think October 2019 was when he started as CEO there. Why the change and what will be the strategy focus for you as CEO? Russell's departure was was relatively sudden there. It wasn't part of uh, part of my plan, but you know, Russell and the board had discussions and Russell decided to leave for, for personal reasons and we wish him all the very best and you know, want to acknowledge you know, the blood, sweat and tears that Russell put into the product you know, over the last couple of years as his engagement as well. I mean, you know, he's a great guy. Um, you know, he's, he's absolutely an instigator of change and I think that you know, a lot of what we've done, we can credit to his leadership as well. So you know, thanks and a shout out to Russell. You know, as we talk about the transition now with, uh, you know, when the board asked me to step in, I said, no, I'd, I'd love to. It's a logical place for me to move to, um, particularly as as we've spent such a significant amount of effort and time during uh, the last 12 months in building in-country infrastructure from a people perspective. I mean, you know, B2 Gold had a very good group of, of operators in-country, but as they left, you know, there was a void there, right? The, the support that was coming from quote unquote corporate didn't exist anymore. So we needed to source those people and build bank strength within the company so that we could continue to do the things that are required to be done. Because as Calibre, you know, I think that if we talk about the the corporate piece, you know, we have less than 10 employees outside of Nicaragua. So, you know, we, we run a very lean corporate structure. Our business is in Nicaragua, our focus is in Nicaragua, and you know, that's what we're about. And yeah, if that changes over the over the time, and we look at you know potential M and A activities as we grow the business looking forward, we want to ensure that we we keep Nicaragua in the situation where it can be a self-sustaining business. You know, certainly in Nicaragua, the internal relations there is very important, and having the right people in country to carry forward operation activities is also very important there. Um, Talk about the expansion plans in Nicaragua, say over the next two years or so. You know, you've got material coming from Pavon satellite deposit to La Libertad to fill more capacity. You guys plan to explore more to add to that ounce base. What's the plans there to really do that? Where is the focus going to be here to do that? And what do you guys see over the next two years to get that total production profile up even further? We consider it, we've got Limon and Libertad as, as active operations. You know, we'll continue to, to move material from Limon to Libertad. We've recently commissioned uh, Pavon, which was a great success. I mean, if we think about, you know, the development there at Pavon, we announced in December of 2019 a threefold increase in resource in Q3 of last year. So nine months later, we had permits in hand. And in January, we're delivering ore to the mill at Libertad. So, you know, we went from, you know, permit to plant in way less than 18 months. It says, you know, significant amounts about the opportunities that exist in Nicaragua to be able to, you know, with, as long as you maintain your social license and you do the right things, there's certainty of outcome from a jurisdictional perspective and you can develop and progress uh, these properties. So that's, you know, that's great, which is a, which is a good segue into, you know, Eastern Barossi. You know, everything we've talked about 
thus far as caliber and we talk about the PEA that we issued in the middle of the year and the initial multi-year guidance that was all predicated on the assets we purchased from B2 Gold. It didn't talk about the legacy assets that we had coming in from Caliber. And we've identified what I believe to have been an extremely exciting opportunity on the Atlantic side. And is this time looking as an operator with a fresh set of eyes and a legacy Caliber assets. Within the, East, within the Eastern Barassi project, which was a, uh, an inferred resource, which was announced with the IM Gold joint venture in Q1 of 2018, there was uh, 700,000 ounces grading five grams per tonne. But within it, within the Eastern Brossi project, there's a near surface Guapanole Vancouver veins, which are analogous to Pavon, but at higher grades. Um, you know, I am gold reported an inferred resource of 780,000 tonnes at just under 12 grams for 300,000 ounces. So, you know, again, incredibly high grades. Um, and we've commenced technical work. So drilling, geotechnical, hydrological work, which will culminate in pre-feasibility level studies during the course of this year. And uh, what I hope for is during the course of the year is updating you and the team on, on what we expect to be the next spoke in our hub and spoke operating model. Yeah. And again, just to reiterate, that opportunity was not included in our multi-year outlook. So and again, you do the math and you consider, hey, we've, we've demonstrated you know, the feasibility to haul from Limon to Libertad. We've talked about Pavon to Libertad, which is 300 kilometres. It's $30 a tonne to haul the material. It's pretty well established at 10 cents a tonne kilometre. You do an incremental haul out to EBP, so it's not too far to be able to haul the material. We're talking you know, maybe $40, $45 a tonne. You know, it's very cheap capital in comparison to being building a plant, given that we already have the facilities in place at Libertad. So you do the math and you start saying, you know, conservatively 250 tonnes a day from, from Eastern Barossi into the Libertad mill at 12 grams in resource, drop a gram off it to cover the haulage cost. So it gets you to 11 grams, degrade that a few grams a tonne to be conservative and say the, the reserve grades in there at seven or eight grams a tonne. 250 tonnes a day at eight grams a tonne is you know, incremental 20 to 25,000 ounces a year that are going to be at very low incremental cost because you know, all of the all of the fixed costs are already paid for. It's only the the consumables you're going to see. So mining at EBP and uh, you know, incremental you know, power grinding, media reagents, those sort of things at Libertad. So you know some really exciting opportunities that we see that are unleashed by you know deorphaning deposits as a consequence and being able to you know hub and spoke through what is Nicaragua, and then you start to look at at the expiration that can be laid on top of it. And that's where you know, our expiration will be morphing this year from what was focused on confidence and converting resources to reserves and ensuring that we could give our, um, our stakeholders you know, very good confidence in our five-year plan to now looking forward and saying, hey, let's start growing the business from a resource perspective. So, you know, our exploration focus during this year is morphing into a three-pronged approach to be able to support organic growth. And that's district-scale generative opportunities, which is, you know, we've got a significant landscape in Nicaragua, which, as you're aware, is very underexplored. So we see huge potential in that space. We've got growing emergent regional districts, which we've touched on already, is Pavon and Eastern Barossi. We see great opportunity to be able to expand those. Neither of those districts have had significant investment over the last five years from a drill bit perspective. 
So, you know, the last drilling that was really done from a generative perspective at Pavon was in 2014. Um, at Eastern Barossi, there's been really de, de minimis levels of exploration over the last three to four years. So great opportunity there. And then piggybacked on the continued resource expansion at Limon and Libertad. And keep in mind that both of those assets combined have produced over 5 million ounces continuously over the last decades. And they've always typically only had a few years of reserve life in front of them. Well, we've been able to repackage that this year with now having 860,000 ounces in reserve, which effectively you know, is, is more than what we guided in the first five years of our multi-year outlook combined between them one and that. So, you know, I think that those enduring assets will continue to produce more ounces and be able to support our growth plans going forward. On the larger strategy for a moment, and I want to come back to the JV with Rio Tento here, because I think that's also an important piece of you guys attracting them into the country. But on the larger strategy for a moment, Darren, you know, right now the company is exposed to a single jurisdiction being Nicaragua. Are there any plans in the near term, maybe throughout this five-year plan, to build a pipeline outside of Nicaragua? Or do you guys feel that you're going to continue to stay in country and expand within the country only at this point? No, I, I don't think it's it's either one or the other, uh, Andrew. You know, it's, it's Calibre's vision of creating a quality multi-asset mid-tier mining company remains unchanged from when I engaged as one of the founders in New Calibre in, in 2018. You know, following out the success we had at Newmarket, the first step in delivering that vision is to identify and acquire gold production with growth potential, which we did in 2019 with, the, with these assets that we're now talking about. So with that, and as we've discussed, I see a clear path to organically grow production. So our, our best use of capital is plowing it back in the ground and looking at growing, those, growing that production. Yeah. Considering this and the fact that we're generating strong operating cash flows, we're investing in the business, we have the capability and capacity in country to continue executing and growing the plan, I feel very comfortable. Yeah. But that being said, you know, I also mentioned that we've been, we've been doing a lot of work in shoring up talent and bringing more talent into the organisation. I can mention you know, numbers of players from, you know, mill superintendents at Limon to Dustin Vandor Soler, who's the VP operations who came into the business in March of last year, who was, we brought in out of First Majestic. He was the CEO at First Majestic. So we've, we've done a lot to, to build bench strength in that organisation. And what it's allowing us to do is, is that if we see an opportunity, it means we'll be able to pursue those external opportunities and not lose sight of the reason that we exist, which is Nicaragua. So, you know, like at Newmarket, we'll be selective, patient and opportunistic when considering the M&A opportunities as our priority is to maximise you know, value for our shareholders. So, you know, in doing that, we need to ensure that we continue to deliver in Nicaragua and we'll look at these other opportunities as opportunities present. So, no, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be both. But, you know, given we've got, we've identified good life in front of us at Nicaragua, we, we don't, we're not urgent. We're not, we're not in a hurry to do anything. We can patiently look at things and make sure that it's going to end up delivering what we want, which is, you know, value as a financial instrument. Understood. Yes. And definitely from the eyes of bigger companies out there, what you guys are doing is certainly attractive and interesting to companies that are looking to also expand their portfolios and have Nicaragua as part of their checklist for their strategy. That's one. And then, of course, two for you guys. 
I think also ticking the other box of multi-jurisdiction for you guys also, I think the market would reward that quite a bit here as well. So there's a bit of options here, and I think you guys are working on that as you continue to generate the cash flow here. Now, Darren, talk about, there's a little bit of other activity in Nicaragua. Um, you've got Condor's La India development, and you've got Royal Roads Exploration Success also in Nicaragua recently. What's your thoughts on those companies? What's your thoughts on some of the peers there and uh, what's happening in the country as far as gold exploration goes? Yeah, no, um, you know, the folks that, uh, you know, led by Mark Childs there at uh, Condor have done, you know, been very diligent over the last decade in, in developing that opportunity that sits there at La India. They've been very persistent working through that in a very methodical place, methodical way, sorry. Um, you know, they've been you know, doing all the things they need to to be able to progress that deposit. You know, it looks very interesting. Um, you know, I wish them all the very best. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see, you know, how that evolves over the next, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months. And, uh, you know, we look at Royal Roads and, and what they're doing, um, you know, some, some very interesting results there on the Atlantic side, which again is, is, you know, is demonstrated to the fact that, you know, we've got these you know, large epithermal gold districts, which has been the predominant focus for uh, for us and others, you know, over the more recent history. But there's huge potential that sits on the Atlantic side, which is, you know, probably a good segue into talking about, you know, our, uh, our joint ventures with uh, Rio Tinto. Um, if you allow me to talk about that, is, is that, you know, twofold is, is that having Rio do the due diligence on these assets is, is, is fantastic because what it does, it validates the jurisdiction, which is Nicaragua, from two aspects, not only from the geologic potential because, you know, they wouldn't be wasting their time on looking for, you know, large-scale porphyry copper, molly copper, gold copper deposits if they didn't believe there was the potential for something to be there, right? So that's great in terms of it. You know, it speaks multitudes about the mineral endowment potential that exists, particularly on the eastern seaboard of Nicaragua. But also importantly, it talks to, you know, validating the jurisdiction, which is Nicaragua, which is, you know, again, it's had some ups and downs over the time. But, you know, the fact that they've done a level of due diligence and want to invest in the country you know, is fantastic. And you know, after a significant level of work over the last year, reviewing data, and planning on the ground activities with you know, with us, you know, we have authorized commencement of expenditure on the on those joint ventures, and we expect first pass drilling of five high level targets that they've identified uh, to commence here in early Q2, with you know five to seven thousand meters of 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 drilling and you know, looking for the elephants, you know, the large bulk tonnage copper copper gold porphyry systems. You know, this is an exciting partnership. You know which caliber shell are exposed to as Rio Tinto earns in under the arrangements announced a year ago. Yeah, very excited about this additional value creation opportunity and Rio's involvement, which has helped validate, I guess, not only the geological target potential for the of the region, but also the jurisdictional region. Interesting to see what will happen on that front as well. And as you know, of course, you know, Nicaragua has lost a little bit of love since 2018. Um, it's had some challenges, as you know. But how has operating in the country been for you guys? And talk about the importance of your operations to the government and the national economy, because your guys' work there, if I'm not mistaken, you guys are a substantial contribution to the gold exports, 
and the taxes in the country. So just talk about the relationship and the importance of what you're doing there. Yeah, no, Andrew, I mean, in any jurisdiction you operate, it's, you know, it's immensely important to maintain you know, incredibly good relationships you know, with those government bodies. And, you know, again, you know, Nicaragua has a proud mining history. It's very supportive of the mining space. It has good regulatory processes in place that allow for certainty and of outcome. And that was demonstrated through, um, through the development of Pavon just recently. You know, and again, I've permitted things all over the planet. And, uh, you know, the sort of technical work that you need to do in Nicaragua is no less than what it is anywhere else. Um, you know, they have rigorous processes in place to ensure that you're doing the right thing and providing that, you know, you've got good stakeholder engagement, you've got good community support, and there are no technical issues, you can get these things permitted quite comfortably. And, you know, we've seen this even from, you know, our friends at, uh, at uh, Condor in Landia, right? They have a permitted project, they're working through some land acquisition issues, but they have a fully permanent project in there. So, you know, again, from that perspective, it's a fantastic place to do business. Um, you know, I've been, you know, amazed by the support we've seen from the government in, in resolving and working through issues. Um, and of course, you know, we've done a lot of change over the last year in terms of the things we've implemented and you know, they've been very supportive. I mean, we have, you know, good relationships with, uh, with Minister Mansell, who's the, uh, is a minister of ministry, sorry, minister of uh, minerals and energy in country. Um, no, so they're very supportive uh, and good partners in the space. As long as you do the right thing, they're supportive. Yeah, the mining industry and the agriculture industry for Nicaragua was absolutely huge baseline support for the country. Absolutely critical. And if you can keep the relationships going, it's a fantastic place to do business. And as you said, very quick action. You know, it's incredible how fast some of these countries operate as far as their regulatory decisions compared to countries that you think should operate faster, but they don't. And it's interesting also just to point that out. We could have a conversation on that by itself. But talk about the uh, the social license and any local community updates that you want to provide, Darren. I know you guys are hugely important, not only to the country, but also to the local community. Is there any projects or anything you guys are doing right now that you want to mention on the social license side? You know, again, it's something I feel really passionate about. I mean, I've spent a large part of my career in, in developing environments and, you know, I've always been, you know, felt really rewarded by the investment that we can put back into the communities in which we operate. And I hear a lot of people talking about it, but, you know, again, I see a lot of it as truly lip service. You know, it's, it's you know, we have the benefit of coming into Nicaragua. I mean, we've been there as, a, as an explorer for a decade. Um, on the Atlantic side and, you know, the, the work that the team did over there, particularly given the scale of spend they had available to them was phenomenal. I mean, they developed excellent relationships, which is great because it helps facilitate the work that we're now doing at Eastern Barossi, you know, to be able to purchase lands and get things permitted. There's great levels of support, um, you know, very, very good in that space. You know, we look at what, you know, B2 Gold established for us on the Pacific side. I mean, they left behind you know, a world-class foundation in Nicaragua. And there's absolutely no doubt to the commitment they made to the country. And they continue that, that commitment through maintaining a 34% equity interest in Calibre, right? You know, and again, it's a very smart approach. I don't think that they ever fell out of love with the, the country or the potential for the country. It's just that their, their capital, human and, and financial, was better spent elsewhere. So they've done a pretty smart thing on it was I see it as you know, we're effectively a contractor coming in and developing these assets for them. So, you know, they get to participate in the upside. So, 
But, you know, back to the point about, you know, the foundational aspects of social investment is, is that we look at where are we spending our money right now? It's education. So scholarships for, you know, through the entire, you know, range of people. And, you know, one of the things that I've been a little bit surprised about is, is the lack of, you know, birth sciences, um, education in Nicaragua. So we're currently partnering with UNAS and a couple of other institutions to look at developing capabilities within the universities to get some earth science graduates out rather than Nicaraguans leaving, going to Mexico and maybe not coming back because a number of them were educated in, uh, in other, you know, another, well, Mexico, for example. Um, you know, we're looking at uh, water and health. You know, it's a, it, it's a necessity for everyone and a, and, and a right that everyone should have is access to quality water and potable water. So doing a lot of work and expanding the potable water schemes around the communities in which we operate within or close to, you know, a lot of livelihoods, local business enterprises, you know, sewing, small minor assistance. You know, we talk about social infrastructure, so road improvements and community centres. So, you know, a lot of investment directly into the communities in, in which we operate. And one of the things that in particular we're focused on is wherever we can, you know, we, we try to look for a large local contingent within our, not only the workforce, but within our service providers as well. And a good example of that is the CINSA, which is our, our primary contractor for able to moving material between the properties. It's a, it's a privately owned company in Nicaragua, which we're working with to develop a level of capability. But one of the things we're encouraging within that business is, is that you know, when we're hauling material from Pavon to Libertad, yeah, the best people to drive those, to operate that equipment are people from Pavon because they're going to be traveling through the communities in which they live and their families are part of. So we know that they're going to have a higher level of ownership. So it's those sorts of things that we encourage, you know, within our space. So, yeah, it's a plethora of things we're doing. We have a very well-established, um, you know, group of people in country and we're adding to it as we go as well because we're finding that, you know, as we want to do more, yeah, the more more support we can provide the communities and the further we can get ahead of you know where we want to be and the better support we have the less resistance we have and you know again it just makes for a much more harmonious relationship yep fully agree with that darren i think that's the uh, the right way to approach it and you guys are doing a good job covering a lot of things not only things that you guys might see that needs to be done in the communities, but also hearing what the community wants to see done. And again, this is very important. And of course, the, the local aspect of using local folks makes a lot of sense. Then you guys keep up the work there. I think that continues to be important, especially in this, you know, current trend and probably a longer term trend of, you know, ESG and, you know, these types of things that you guys have already known about. And Clive Johnson and I talked about CSR before that. And good companies have always done in the communities and have always done in the mining industry, but it's just now starting to get a little bit more focus out there in the investor community via this, you know, ESG trend that's occurring out there. So good on you guys for keeping up these efforts in the local community and also at the government level. Well, Darren, over the next, you know, year or so, and I wanted to bring this up because I've seen a trend of this happening with a lot of peers in the space, you know, your mid-tier companies, your growth companies that are out there. But over the next year or so, is the company considering a dual listing on the NYSE Amex to increase exposure to investor audience? And I just mentioned that because we've seen a trend of a lot of companies in the 500 million to, you know, a billion Canadian uh, seek that dual listing in the U.S. Is there any thought for you guys to potentially do that over the next couple of years? 
No, it's it's a discussion we have had, and yeah, it'll be there on the radar. But do we have any specific plans to look at that dual listing? Not at this point, but you know, it is an opportunity that we we will look at and consider. Um, you know, we found very good support in our European and Canadian markets. If getting that access into that U.S. space would obviously be attractive. So no, it, it's something that's on the radar, but it's you know we've got a lot of other things we're focused on in advance of that. Very well, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, Darren, to wrap up for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening in the audience here, market cap of the company stands about 615 million Canadian here. What would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? Why should they consider caliber mining now? It's a good question. You know, if, if you look at you know what we've demonstrated with these assets over the last uh, you know, 18 months, you know, I think we've made great inroads in repackaging what we purchased from B2 Gold at $100 million to now to the market cap you just referenced, right? That's a significant amount of growth. And that doesn't represent any expiration upside. You know, and we talk about the prolific nature of these assets from a, you know, whether it be Limon and Libertad in terms of being durable and produce 5 million ounces over the decades, or the emerging districts that we talk about as Rossi and Pavon, or we talk about that huge landscape that is Nicaragua, which has attracted in, you know, the, the behemoths like Rio to come in and joint venture with us to be able to explore on their behalf, right? You know, it's, it's a huge amount of you know, opportunity there. And we have an installed capacity with Libertad, with the mill, which we're currently utilizing less than 50% of. We can turn that into metal production and a very attractive margin quickly. So you know, in the short term, you know, we can generate lots of cash. And in the short and medium through longer term, you know, we've got a huge um, you know, ex sorry, growth potential organically. So you know, I, I think there's a compelling business case, and I think we've seen and we've seen great progress over the last 18 months and you know i'm confident that we'll continue to see and now we've established what i believe to be a solid foundation for growth and now we've now earned the right to now look more broadly from an exploration perspective and we can truly drive that organic growth so no for those that want to participate i think that uh, they'll be they'll be uh, duly rewarded as as i am as part of an investor and continue to you know, to purchase stock in the open market as well very well, and this is an interesting point here, and you guys uh, have a lot of strategy execution left. The sentiment in the market is just about right. Uh, the share price is down a bit. Interesting point here for people to consider. Darren, best way for investors to reach out to the company? On our website, so uh, you know, calibermining.com. Um, yeah, it's the best place to, to look for information, our press releases, technical reports, all the information's there. Um, our analyst reports are there as well. Um, and you know, it has contact information for both uh, Ryan King, who's Vice President of uh, Investor Relations and Corp Dev, and myself. You know, happy to uh, receive emails or pick up the phone and talk to anyone who wants to hear more about our business. Um, we, we love the institutional space, but we love the retail space uh, as well. You know, there's a lot of people that are interested in the product, and uh, we'll talk to anyone. That sounds great, Darren. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to give an update. Keep up the efforts over there at the team. Uh, you guys take care and stay well. Yeah, you too, Andrew, and thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it very much.